Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. We are starting a brand new series. Brand new. Four battles we must win. And and this series is one that I think they're all great, but, but this one is. I mean, it is just one that I really think that you will enjoy, one that will be very beneficial and help you understanding uh, things that are going on in your life, and, and most importantly, one that will bring you closer to Christ and, I think, other people in your life as well. Now, as we look at this, the name of this is Four Battles We Must Win. We have to. It's not an option to lose this battle. And so as you think about this, it's an interesting time of year right now, if you're a sports fan, because it's the start of the baseball season, and then it's also getting towards the end, playoff time for the uh, NHL, hockey, and the NBA with basketball. And so you have this really unique thing going on where there are some very important games and some games that are not very important going on at the same time. An example of that would be earlier this week, the Chicago Cubs were playing the Arizona Diamondbacks. In, in games, baseball games, that the managers would tell you every game is important. But I have news for you. The Diamondbacks aren't going anywhere this year. And neither are the Cubs And so you have possibly the two worst teams in the major leagues playing each other uh, and splitting a series. So so you look at those games, and and I don't know how many people even went to them, but they're just not that important. They are four games out of 164 in the schedule. And again, every game counts, but to say that these are must-win games, it's just not accurate. But on the other hand, when it comes to, for instance, the NBA, that that when you look at at those games, now they're in a seven-game series. And in a a seven-game series, every game is so important. And then in a game, uh, every possession is so important. And and playing defense on every possession, because it it comes down to to games that are won by one or two points, and, and that can make the difference in a series. And that is why very often they will use words like pivotal games. And and now they put themselves in a must-win situation. And the reason why they do that is this, is is that in a seven-game series, again, for for those of you who who don't necessarily understand this, it, it means the first person to win four games wins the series, okay? So that would be a seven-game series. You have to get four wins. That in the the history of the NBA playoffs, if a team goes up two games to zero, they have a 94.1% chance of winning the series. That from an all-time 94.1% of teams that won the first two games go on to win the series. But if a team goes up three to zero, three games to none, In the history of the NBA, no team has ever come back. So so as they look at that, these games which are must-wins, 
That when, when you look at the first two games of a series, especially if you are a visiting team, if you are a coach that is coming in there, that, that you tell them, we can't come in and expect to lose two games and then get them when we're back at our place. But we have to look at this, and at the very worst, we need a split if we are going to have a fighting chance of winning this series. And what that does is, is it starts, to, I think, to raise the level of intensity. For them to say, oh my gosh, this is important. That as we, we look at these numbers, this is something that we, we have to win, that, that we must win, that, that is our priority. The only thing is, is that in sports, there's another team in the other locker room whose coach is telling them the exact same thing. Who is saying, this is a, a must-win game for us. This, this is one that we need to have. This is one that we have to have. And someone, well, 50% of the time, one of those teams loses. So today, as we look at this, as as we look at must-win battles, these are must-win battles in our relationship with Christ. And and what we will see in the next uh, next number of weeks as we go through this series, is that we have noticed that when, when individuals live their lives with sin, that, that ultimately every battle that we fight with sin is important. But there are specific ones, that, that there are, are ones where Jesus warns us about it. There are ones that God's word and, and the prophets warn us repeatedly about these battles that are fought, that, that if we give in to them and if we lose them, they are ones in which eternal consequences are on the line. So today we are going to start at looking at these four battles that we must win, and we will start with our battle against guilt. Now as we begin, just again to see what is on the line, we turn to Proverbs 4 verse 23, just so we're clear. And it says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart. Everything you do flows from it. I think we understand this in a physical way, that we understand in our heart, in our bodies, that literally everything flows through it. Uh, everything flows from it and then back into it. And for that reason, if if you go into a, a doctor's office, if you go into an emergency room and and you have a number of injuries and one of those injuries has to do with your heart, which one do you think they're going to start with? That one. And, and, and it starts with the heart. And again, if you go in and you are having chest pains and they think that you might be having a heart attack, you don't say, you know what, I'll come back in a week. Uh, when I have time, I'll look at this because I have some deadlines at work. And, and if I have some time, then I'll look at it. No, if you have something wrong with your heart, everything stops. Everything in your life is put on hold because this is a battle that you must win. That, that above all else, you need physically to protect your heart. And I think everyone in this room understands that. But I don't think we understand it when it comes to our spiritual hearts. I think there are times when we put things on hold. 
that, that we live with things, that we live with pain. We have learned to live with spiritual pain. And, and we kind of put up with it and we tolerate it. And, and our lives kind of work around that. And it does us a huge disservice because everything you do flows from it. So, so that is what, what this is telling us, is the urgency of this, the urgency of this message is so important because it affects you spiritually. It's a matter of spiritual life or death. In the blank, you can write, the war I am fighting is for control of my heart. The war I am fighting is for control of my heart. And so the battlefield is your life. And, and we'll be looking at who the enemy is a little bit later. But, but as we look at it, that's what we need to win. Control of our heart. The next passage from Romans 13 verse 8 helps us understand it. As we look at kind of an overview of the series, it will help you understand a little bit of, of, of how we're going to talk about this. And, and in Romans 13 verse 8 it says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Let no debt remain outstanding. That when you put yourself in a debting relationship with, with someone else, it affects the relationship and eventually can destroy the relationship. If you have not taken Financial Peace University, I would suggest you do. But one of the biggest things that they talk about, and this is financially, is, is your biggest enemy is debt. Because with debt usually comes interest as well. But, but, but one of the things that affects us with debt is the fact that when someone owes us something, that, that you start on a relationship where you are even, but then when someone lends someone or someone goes into debt with the other person, the relationship is changed. That one person becomes the, the debtor and, and the other one becomes the one who, who lends the money. And so what happens, if you've ever been in this situation where someone has owed you money, I, I think of times when my kids in, in high school were, were in situations where other kids needed money for like, it was picture day, hey, can you lend me some money because I want to get pictures? Or, or maybe it was they, they went out, it was a sports uh, they, they had an away game, and they stopped at McDonald's on the way back, and the kid didn't have any money. So he said, hey, can you lend me some money? So yeah, I'll give you five bucks or whatever, and I'll pay you back tomorrow. Well, then tomorrow comes, and they don't have any money. And then what happens is every time you see that person, you're going, hey, what's the deal? You got my five bucks? And then what starts to happen is that person, whenever they see you coming goes the other way because they don't want to be reminded of the debt because they don't have the money to pay. And as we look at these, these enemies of the heart that we will be looking at, the, these battles that we must win, all of them have to do with debt. And if you get your pen out right now, I'm, I'm going to tell you what these, these debts that we're talking about are. And first of all, the, today's is guilt. And in guilt, next to that, you can write I-O-U. 
So the problem is with guilt is when I feel that I have done something or I am indebted to someone because of something I did or did not do. So I owe you. The next battle is with anger. And with anger, it's not I owe you, it's you owe me. And and I want to get paid. And if I'm not paid, I get very unhappy. And and I not only want to get paid by you, but I want to get paid by, I take it out on everybody. Guilt, anger. The next one is jealousy or envy. And that is that God owes me. And the reason why God owes me is because as I look at what he gave to you, I think I should have it. I think I should have the same amount of money that you have. I think I should have the same amount of health that you have. I think I should have the same amount of good looks that you have. And when I don't, I'm jealous. And I think that God owes me because of it. And the final debt is the debt of greed. And in greed, I feel like I owe me. I owe myself. And for that reason, I get everything that I can and I I keep working and working and working and amassing as much as I can. And what we are going to see is with with those debts, with that owing that goes on in a heart, it destroys a heart. It clogs the arteries of your heart and, and a heart attack is imminent. So we need to guard the heart. In the blank, you can write the four battles we must win come as a result of unpaid, unhealthy, spiritual debt. Unpaid, unhealthy, spiritual debt. So now we're going to narrow the focus a little bit and and narrow the focus down to specifically guilt. And, And as we look at what guilt is, We start with Leviticus 5, verse 17. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament, all the way back to the start of of God's relationship with his people, and he was explaining to them what guilt is. And it says, If anyone sins and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though they do not know it, they are guilty and will be held responsible. anyone sins and does what is forbidden, even if they don't know it. So as we look at guilt, first of all, just so you know, ignorance of the law is no excuse. And and so as we look at this, even if they don't know what they're doing, have you ever been pulled over by a police officer who pulls you over and then asks the question, do you know why I pulled you over? I'm going to say pleading ignorance is always the safe bet from what I found. But I remember one specifically. I remember one specifically. I was driving through Minneapolis, and I had just gotten an iPod, and I had the the headphones in, and I was driving from Wisconsin to South Dakota. I was three hours into a 10-hour drive, and there was a cop in front of me probably going like one mile under the speed limit, so, of course, I put my cruise control on right at the, right at the speed limit and slowly passed him. And, and he looked over, and I looked over, and how you doing? Uh, and then he came in right behind me and pulled me over. And I'm like, are you kidding me? 
And he, and he pulled me over and he said, do you know why I pulled you over? And I said, I have, I have absolutely no idea. And he said, did you realize that in the state of Minnesota, it's illegal to drive with headphones or, or earbuds in, in the car? And I'm like, wow, I did not know that. And at that time, my kids were probably between seven and newborn. And in our van, we have a, a DVD player and Barney was on. And he said, in this case, I can forgive you for having those earphones on. And I understand completely why they are. But it is still against the law. And I was guilty, even though I didn't know it. And that is, is what, what God was telling his people here is that when you are in violation of, of not a, a state law, not a federal law, but when you are in violation of God's law, any one of them, God's moral law, that you are guilty. In the blank, you can write, what is guilt? My standing before God because of sin. Guilt is my standing before God because of sin. And on the side, you can write, I owe God. Again, this is one we've talked about before, but this is that courtroom scene. And and this is what, what God was trying to tell his people, that if this was a courtroom and God was the judge and you were the person who was on trial for whatever crime it was, that when God declares you guilty, you are found guilty by the God, the maker of heaven and earth. You are guilty. And it is your standing before God that each one of the people of Israel and each one of us here today, if you are someone who has sinned, which is all of us, you are guilty and you owe God, period. So all that is left is the sentencing. And, and the punishment for sin is death, both physical and spiritual, which ends ultimately in hell. But guilt comes another way too. This is an important guilt. We'll get back to it. But here's another one. And this is from 2 Samuel. It says, David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And later, when when talking with with this son of Jonathan, said, Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. In the blank, you can write, guilt is a debt I feel I owe a person because of the past. And that is, I owe you. David felt like he owed Jonathan because Jonathan was such a good friend. And and Jonathan did so many things to help David. And, And Jonathan tried to talk sense into Saul, but Saul just simply would not listen. And, and for that reason, David felt this, this debt to Jonathan that he wanted to, to repay by, by helping out his, his child. And again, this isn't necessarily something that's bad. To, to recognize that other people help you and that as they help you, that you are thankful for, for what they have done. And then in, in the future, that, that you want to help them as well. But I am going to warn you that this is something that can be manipulated terribly. And, and what happens is when someone uses the past, 
to try to make you feel guilty. And, and so it can be a situation. I remember this with uh, my grandma, who's at home with Jesus now. Uh, she, she moved from Chicago to the, to the place where my parents lived. And one of the things that she, she really wanted was my dad to come over every morning, like at 7 o'clock, 7.30, and have coffee with her. And, and so my dad would do that, you know, go say hi to mom, make she, sure she was okay. And then there were just a couple times when, when things were getting busy that, that he would say, you know, mom, I'm, I'm not able to, to come over today. I'm, I'm just not going to be able to make time to have coffee. And then it would start. You know, during the Depression when I raised you, there were a lot of times where it was hard to, to possibly get you food or something to drink too, but I did that for you and your twin brother. And, and I still remember the day you were born and, and how painful that was and what a, a long delivery that was. But again, if you have other things to do, uh, that's, that's just go do them and forget about me. I'm probably going to be dead in the next couple days anyways. We laugh, but let's face it. We are in situations where we know what this is like. Sometimes there are even certain people that we don't want to allow them to do good things for us because we know that we are going to be indebted to them, that they are going to call it back and they're going to make you do stuff that you don't want to do and they're going to use the past to to try to manipulate it. And that is dangerous. It's dangerous when you are in an indebted relationship and you continue to try to work it out and work it out and work it out. And very closely associated with this is a time when you have done something where you do owe a person, maybe something in the past that you did hurt them. But the thing about it is that you can never pay it back. Maybe a situation where someone's in a car accident and they're... A family member is with them. Let's say their brother's with them and dies in the accident. Then you feel guilty, right? You feel like you owe them or their family or your parents or whoever it is. And and so you spend your whole life trying to to pay back a debt that can't be paid. Then there's problems. And we'll we'll explain why in a moment. The final one. And this is David, Psalm 32 says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And what David was talking about is when he had feelings of guilt from a sin that he had committed that he kept secret. It it was sin of adultery. It was the sin of murder. It was the sin of lying. There There were a bunch of them. And it was eating David up inside. So in the blank, you can write, what is guilt? Guilt is a debt I want kept hidden. My dirty little secret. My dirty little secret. And what I have learned, if I have learned nothing else in 20 years, as a pastor, everyone has a dirty little secret. No exceptions. There is no doubt in my mind that everyone here, including the person standing on the stage, has a dirty secret. 
something, something inside that if they saw you in a certain context or know something that you did in the past that, that you are trying so desperately to hide, that it's something that if someone in the family maybe even starts to talk about, you give them the dirty look or you leave the family function or, or you go out angry because it's the dirty little secret. And, and so look in the Bible. Everyone had one. Abraham, if you remember the account where he went down to Egypt and, and was afraid that, that the Pharaoh would attack him, so he said his wife was his sister. Okay? Just don't tell anyone and we'll be fine. We'll get through this. Moses was a murderer. He killed a man. And so what did he do? He ran away and, and he tried to hide it. He tried to cover up the body. David, we already talked about. In the New Testament, you want... Peter's denial of of Jesus, Judas' betrayal. The apostle Paul had issues with conceit. That's that's why we're told that he had a a thorn in his flesh, to keep him from becoming conceited, that he thought more of himself than he should have. I don't know what your, your secret is, but it's a problem. And it was a problem for every one of these individuals. And and kind of an irony with all of the people that I've mentioned, they're not secret anymore. And in a moment, we'll see why. Let's go to the next verse. And, and as we look at this idea of guilt, this is important. Matthew 27, verse 3 and 5 says, When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. Good. Excellent, Judas. You, you saw what you've done. And now you start to feel guilty. Guilty, like I owe Jesus because of what I did to him. That's good. That's the way it's supposed to work. He was seized with remorse, great. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. That's good. If you are seized with guilt that I owe someone because of something that I've done and I have a chance to to take the money back and to make it better... To, to, to get that taken care of, good, do that. If you've stole from someone and, and you're keeping that a secret, that, that we want you to tell them, but you know what? You also need to give the money back. Uh, that, that's part of the owing. Part of that owing you do pay back if you are able to. But then the problem, then he went away and hanged himself. problem is, and this is the next villain, guilt from hell says, I am so bad, God won't forgive me. Guilt from hell says, I am so bad, God won't forgive me, and it leads me to despair. That as I look back at the past, and I look at something that I've done, it is so bad and so horrendous, and, and it's something that God will look on so badly and look at me so badly that I'll never get past it. That is not what the Lord wants. And that's not what Christ's sacrifice for sin was all about. But there's another kind of guilt. And that's Psalm 32, verse 5. And again, this is David. He says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt. You forgave the guilt, my standing before God. You forgave the guilt of my sin. 
So in the blank, he can write guilt from heaven says, I need to go to God for forgiveness. And it leads me to confess. See, that's the thing in the Bible. As I mentioned that, that so many people, all of them had their dirty little secret. And, and you look at when the Bible was written, every one of them is written down for everyone to see. And, and the question is, do you think that was done to shame those people? No, not at all. The, the purpose of, of making these things public knowledge wasn't so that uh, Abraham or Moses or whoever it is would be shamed, but rather to show each and every one of us that no matter what we have done, that God offers forgiveness, that each one of those individuals went back to the Lord. They were open with him. They were honest with him. They were transparent with him and said, Lord, we have a debt of sin that we cannot pay. And Lord, we are coming to you. We have, we have hid it for long enough and only you can make this right. The problem with the debt of guilt is when you refuse to let God pay it and try to pay it yourself. You can't do it. You cannot pay God back. Nothing that you do Nothing that you give up, no way that you torture yourself will be enough to pay the debt you owe to God. As I said, to an extent, there are ways that we can try to pay a debt. Uh, We can try to pay debts if we have stole something, if we have taken something back. But my guess is if you have a dirty little secret, that, that debt of whatever it is can't be paid back because it's in the past and it's broken and can't be fixed. So what what did God tell his people in Leviticus back when he was talking about guilt? He said, they are to bring to the priest as a guilt offering a ram from the flock, one without defect and the proper value. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them for the wrong they have committed unintentionally, and they will be forgiven. And this whole idea of the sacrifice, the payment, the substitute of God coming and, and making a payment for the sin of his people and accepting payment for it. And that is why with this whole idea of the sacrifice and the whole idea of that is how, how sin is paid for. Why John the Baptist, when, when speaking in John one twenty nine, it tells us the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He takes away that debt. He, he takes away what we owe God. He takes away what we owe others as well, that we stand before God forgiven. And the result is Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. There's no judge telling you you're guilty. There's no judge telling you you are going to jail. That he tells us that we are not guilty. That our debt has been paid in full. And in the blank he can write, my debt to God is paid in full. I owe him nothing. My debt to God is paid in full. I owe him nothing. I don't know why I think these things, but occasionally I do. And and one of the things I was thinking about is, I wonder how far away from Mount Calvary 
Judas hanged himself. Couldn't have been that far away. I mean, it was probably he could have seen it from where he hung himself and hanged himself. And 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 you just want to say to him, Judas, it, it was such a short walk. If you would have just taken a walk from where you were to that hill, it, this could have been changed completely. And I am guessing if you are someone who struggles with guilt, that on the one hand, it, it seems... I can say, man, it's such a short distance from feeling guilty to forgiveness that it's just a matter of, of, of seeing Jesus and understanding that. That I think if you struggle with guilt, you, you would say you have no idea what a long walk that is. You have no idea how hard it is to carry this load as long as I have alone and and, and to, to to not get it out. And it's just, it's complicated. And I'm telling you that as you look at this, as the Lord looks at it, it, he makes it as simple as it can be to tell you that debt has been paid for you in full. And today, today's the day that as you look at that, whatever it is in your heart, whatever it is that's bothering you, whatever it is that's hiding, it's time to go to the Lord with it and understand that through Christ it is forgiven. That's why the next verse, 1 John 3, verse 20 says, If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So if my heart is saying, I still feel guilty, even though God tells me I'm innocent, what do I do, pastor? Because I feel this way. And the answer is you continue to go back to that cross on a regular basis. Guilt is not a one-time fix. But dealing with guilt is something that you need to go back to Christ, not just once a day, twice a day. Go back as needed for pain. That that as we do that, that is what we need to continue to do. And in the blank, you can write, I fight my battle against guilt by confessing my sin and trusting God's promise of forgiveness. I fight my battle against guilt by confessing my sin and trusting God. God's promise of forgiveness. As I close today, it's kind of interesting. In our battle against sin, who are you fighting? If this is a battle I must win, who am I fighting in my battle with sin and and with guilt? And I'm, I'm willing to bet that this battle that the, the person you're fighting the worst is yourself. That this is an internal struggle going on and, and, and saying, I, because of the way that I feel, that I am battling myself, that, that my, my brain is telling me one thing, my emotions and my heart are telling me another. And, and so how, how does this happen? And, and again, it, it, going back to Christ and that forgiveness and the promise that he makes, that his promises are greater than your feelings. That's just a reality. But maybe in this battle, this battle is with another person. That maybe it's someone who continues to try to put you down by reminding you of the past. And if that is a battle with another person, it's the same way, that you go back to the same source. That what God says about your sin is is greater than what someone else tries to remind you of. 
And the final battle is probably with, with Satan, with hell itself, as Satan, who's called the accuser, comes again and again and can point to the guilt in your life and the things that you have done wrong in your sin, that you go back to the promises of God and say, God's promises trump Satan's accusations, even if they are true because of what Christ has done. This is a huge battle, but a battle that through Jesus Christ we can and will and do win. Fight this battle. Fight this battle. Know that your debts are paid in full through Jesus Christ. And let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you that, that you have taken away all of our debts. And, and they are many, Lord. As we think about all the, the wrong that we've done, it's easy for guilt to just overwhelm us and to come on us uh, like a flood. For that reason, Lord, we ask you that we would go back to your word and and find the promises of Jesus Christ. Uh, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a great place to start. We thank you, Lord, that that we are not condemned, that our our debts have been paid in full. And now help us to live guilt-free in our lives. Uh, The only guilt we have is guilt from heaven that leads us back to the cross where there is forgiveness. And, and Lord, we thank you that we can win this battle through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So before we close, if you want more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, just go online to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at 9 and 11 a.m. at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline. Visit our website for directions. And now, back to some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. As you go, remember that the debtor relationship we had with God is no longer there, but through Christ it it is forgiven, and and that's a debt uh, that has been paid in full for us. Just a reminder, uh, if anyone after church today would like someone to pray with them, you can stay right in your seat, and a prayer team will be around and would be happy to do that. Also today, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. And as you go, go with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen.